Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast, part of the incomparable network of podcasts. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And I'm Deanna Chapman. And today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 19, American Dreamer. David, take it away with the recap. Harnell makes James PTSD life-threatening. Lena fails to extract it, so Brainy performs a mind palace treatment. Kelly helps James face their childhood trauma. Now, with powers he can control, he ends an alien affairs raid on Catco. Nia picks up the cape to help protect aliens on the streets and children in a bar. Finally, she gives a glorious, heartfelt interview. Brainy's in love, and they kick Fear's ass. <laughs> Kara does her day job and does it great, while helping Franklin's sister Edna become an Ameritech whistleblower. Lockwood's family suffers as Lockwood alienates his son George, who starts to come out, as an alien sympathizer, Lockwood's life is then fridged, maybe to push Lockwood over the edge. Lena comes clean with Kara. Kara listens with grace, but doesn't reciprocate. Lena then figures out that Lex bought a missile base in Kaznia. Alex isn't doing her day job, but does get to hang with Kelly. John finishes off Mars stuff, while John's actor finishes directing this awesome episode. <laughs> I wouldn't say a lot of things happened in this episode exactly, but there were a lot of character moments. David had suggested we discuss this episode character by character instead of chronologically, so we're going to give that a try and see how it works. And I guess since James was kind of the, well, he was one of the three lines in this episode, we can start with him. Well, if nothing else, let's start with him because, again, it's a good James episode. These were rare for a long time. Let's run right. with this. <laughs> so the Haranel has been heightening his panic attacks and making them harder to control and also having interesting effects like uh, having him shoot beams out of his eye and presumably damaging the hospital, but we didn't hear anything more about it, so hopefully nobody got hurt when he did that. Let's assume so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he got all the powers. <laughs> So Brainy sets up the mind palace thing, which I thought was just a technique for remembering things, but apparently is also something for going into people's minds, in this show anyway. And through uh, exploration of memories, um, we find out not only was James's core trauma, uh, which I guess is just the same as an original trauma, I don't know. Anyway, that was not something that Lex did to him, but being traumatized by bullies uh, and being prevented from attending his father's funeral and unable to be with his sister when she needed him. And not only that, being blocked from going to a funeral by being taken into the bottom of the funeral parlor and locked in a casket. That's gotta hurt. <laughs> yes, no doubt a traumatic experience. Especially since he didn't really remember that that was how it happened, so he had to almost relive it all for the first time again. It's not like it was something that was stuck in his mind. He thought he was at a diner somewhere else, so I think the fact that he was closer than he thought he was, too, is something that did not go over so well for him in that moment. I really like the PTSD and, and also just memory health thing of our memories are perceptions of our memories. They're never entirely our memories. And with great trauma, this happens where people will just entirely compartmentalize, as this show likes to do, memories in a box and just 
hide it, and it hides it from other people, and it hides it from themselves. And in this case, we're seeing that this trauma that was being attacked by the Harnell that James needed to work through, and luckily he was able to, and luckily Kelly was able to help him. Yeah, um, I liked uh, Kelly's actions in this episode, too. It's a very good brother-sister episode for the two of them, even though it's... It really is. ...mostly focused on James. You get certain aspects of Kelly not wanting to deal with the same thing, because they each remember it differently, and then it isn't until this mind palace happens that they both get to know the full truth about what happened that day. Yeah, it's nice, or I suppose maybe nice is the wrong word, that this trauma of James was also a trauma of Kelly's. So this is very much a shared trauma experience of losing a parent and then having this horrible thing happen at the funeral. It worked really well dramatically in the episode. I thought so. And, you know, not only does it help James, it should help Kelly also, because now she really realizes it truly was not his fault. He was not just goofing off at a diner or, you know, unable to face it. He he was uh, kidnapped by bullies and <laughs> really, truly could not make it to the funeral. Um, presumably, he's been there for Kelly in other parts of her life, but childhood memories like that will uh, leave an impression forever. Formative memories. Mm -hmm. I really like all of this work in the Mind Palace. This is kind of what I really wanted to see when Brainy was going to help Dreamer, I thought we were going to see something like this where they would sort of be inside of Nia's mind and examining her dreams or something like that. I kind of missed that we didn't get that earlier in the season, but I was really happy with how they implemented it in this episode. They gave a very strong feeling of it being just sort of a little off. It's a memory. Everything's a little offset, the way it was filmed and everything else. It was just beautifully done. I really quite liked it. Yeah, like you said, I think this was the best James episode in quite some time now, and they've been doing better with him this season, but I think when the shooting happened, it gave them an opportunity to do something different with the character that we probably weren't expecting, given how he had acted previously in the other seasons. So to give him this new challenge instead of the, oh, I want to be a superhero too challenge is kind of nice. And also he had to work for it. So this is something that we didn't really see in the other people who have had the Harnell treatment. There was a huge amount of effort on his part to sort of survive this process and to now be superpowered. And I don't know if they're going to weight that more on how he acts with his superpowers. I also think uh, this episode helps to justify his whole guardian thing a little bit more because, you know, he grew up wanting to be the protective big brother and then he failed at a crucial moment. So maybe maybe he was working through some of that uh, by going out and protecting other people. And at least in the end, he doesn't entirely solve the problem by punching. He solves the fight by merely communicating very clearly how Lockwood was overstating his authority in the attack. That played well, and that James, in a way, did his job to uh, save everyone, or at least stop the attack at Kako. Yeah, I wasn't totally convinced by Lockwood just backing off like that, but um, I, uh, I liked how James stood up to him, even if I didn't really buy Lockwood just snarling and walking away instead of, you know, 
arresting them all for being coca conspirators or something. I don't quite know what the martial law means, but it felt like they were overstepping their bounds of what they could do legally. So maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There was a lot of growling and glowering from Lockwood (laughs) in this episode. Right. Before we get too far away from James and his trauma, though, I did really like that they threw in a line about, you know, this is the start of his process. He's not cured from his trauma. Now he'll be continuing to work through his issues. Again, nothing's easy, and it takes effort and work, and the show's presenting it well. Right. Yeah. So, uh, let's go back to Kelly a little bit. Besides her interactions with James, I also liked her interactions with Alex. It, it's, it, what it felt like was that she needed to talk about being afraid, and then Alex would, you know, sympathize and be protective of her, and then once she had gotten those feelings out, Kelly was able to step aside from them and be brave for her brother. If this show doesn't want me to ship these two, it's doing a really bad job of them. <laughs> I agree. Alex is there giving Kelly a moment to breathe and make arguably the right call, but certainly make the hard call. Yeah, you can tell that at first she's reluctant, but then she starts to understand that she has this chance to help James in a way that he necessarily can't help himself because he pushed Brainy out of the mind palace and he's sort of just stuck in this state of probably emotional and physical pain in that moment so to see her just step up and make that decision even though Alex is saying that she doesn't necessarily have to do that it was just a very nice moment that I think is going to strengthen her relationship with James going forward because it you could definitely tell that there's been quite a bit of tension between the two. Like they're both kind of stubborn in their own ways. Mm -hmm. So they've kind of butted heads over the years, especially now that we know that this was one of the core reasons why that happened. They can finally move past that and reconnect in a way they couldn't before. One thing that I wasn't quite sure if I followed was Brainy saying that James would perceive Kelly as his or younger sister at the time. And I don't think we really saw that in the way the video presented it, but I don't know if it really mattered. I think it was an audio thing. He heard her voice as a child, but then when she appeared, it was her in the present day. That's at least what I think I caught when Brainy had said that. But I was like, oh, I was kind of expecting to see you know, young her walking up. And that didn't really seem to be the case either. I don't know. It was a little weird, but you could tell that he heard her voice as a child and then she appears. Yeah, but he heard his voice almost as part of the memory as well. So it it felt a little muddled. I definitely was with you. I expected to actually see a younger actor for that chunk of scenes. And maybe they just decided not to do that. And that's okay. It works just as well. Yeah, it it is a slight inconsistency, but I didn't it it didn't really hurt the episode, I don't think. It was the same end result that they were going for, so I think that's why it's sort of a weird little detail to notice, but not necessarily important in the crux of things. Definitely not. David, did you want to say something about Alex? She didn't have a lot to do in this episode, except I do wonder why she um is she taking leave or what? <laughs> why does why does she get to hang around the hospital for a week? How long has it been? 
it's really strange in this episode. Again, this is an episode where Kara gets in trouble for not being with her friends but doing her job. And this is always in times when Alex is obviously not doing her job. And I don't quite understand it. The DEO is in a weird state because of how much influence Lockwood has with it right now. But overall, the lack of DEO in this episode made Alex's position kind of confusing. Yeah. Were they in the hospital, though? Because it seemed like to me they were not because when Brainy went to update Lena, he just walked up to her office. I'm pretty sure they were in Lena's lab the entire time. Okay. Okay. But still, Alex should have been probably elsewhere. (laughs) (laughs) One would think. I don't know if they just wanted her there to be supporting in James and to have a scene with Kelly, and there just wasn't enough time to put in any DEO content. Overall, I think it works. Maybe you can just excuse it however you want to excuse it. Yeah. It would have, I think, bogged down the episode to have any more DEO content. So I think it was the right call. Right. As you mentioned, uh, Kara. (laughs) Kara, 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 you listen so sympathetically, but your heart is full of lies. (laughs) I found it a little disturbing. You know, there, there were two points in this episode where it would have been a good time for her to tell Lena. Although maybe it would have been adding an additional emotional burden to Lena when she doesn't need it right now. But I... uh... (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They've had so many chances to either straight up tell Lena who Supergirl is or just have Lena figure it out on her own because she is one of the smartest characters in this show. I am still so upset that they're doing this Mm -hmm. to her character because if anyone could figure it out, it would be her. But then you know, it's kind of insulting that Nia knows now and Lena doesn't even know. It's like, why do you tell the newest person? And I get that they trust her already, but it's like, Lena has been in this so much longer than Nia and you can't tell her just because why she's a Luther. I don't really understand. It's it's so frustrating. <laughs> I was almost screaming at the scene where Lena was bearing out her soul to Kara saying that she did this, and it's like, okay, Kara, do it. Come on, you can do it, Kara. Yeah. And she holds back. It and was I love so this episode, but there's one <laughs> thing that would have made this episode a lot better. Would have had Kara take that opportunity to actually be honest, too. And it really hurt. I love this episode still. But that one point where Kara doesn't say anything, ouch. Yeah, that was one of the glaring flaws in this episode for me and it it's obviously been a glaring flaw for me <laughs> for a while now so it's one of those things where i kind of get why they're doing it but just based on how they've portrayed lena this entire time it's gotten to the point where it just doesn't make any sense you're going to tell everyone but this person and the only reason for her to be doing it and it's not really reasonable is that she's a luther And you could almost think, what's Kara's thinking here? It's like, and she was working with Lex. Okay, I'm going to be very nice to Lena now, but was she actually really bothered by that? And did she say, okay, maybe it's a good thing I haven't told Lena yet, because maybe I can't quite trust her? Yeah, does Alex still not know again now, or... Did they fix that? No, that's still Alex does not know Okay. You might have forgotten that one, too. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, it's a puzzle which one of them will find out the truth first. 
maybe simultaneously. That would be fun. <laughs> I think Lena, they basically have her go down these cycles of is she going to be a bit of a baddie? Is she going to be a bit of an antagonist? Then no, is she going to be entirely on Supergirl's side? And I think they're trying to do maybe one more cycle of that than they should have. Yeah. And it does hurt a little bit. It hurts the show. If there wasn't so much content already with Lena, it might have worked okay. But because it's been so long where they've been holding off this reveal that it just starts to become ridiculous. And what do you do? And not only that, but this whole attitude from Kara or Supergirl toward Lena, um, you know, being a bit hypocritical about resenting Lena's secrets while, you know, having her own, it makes me like Kara, Supergirl, less. And that's not a good thing to keep doing with your main character. Well, at least Kara was very nice about it and supportive. She did not give Lena any impression that she was holding this against her. Her response was not a Supergirl response that we might have expected. That's true. I think Supergirl has worked through some of her issues with Lena um, in, in uh, this past season, actually. Um, but, you know, even though it's... Well, it is damaging. It is hurting Lena some because Lena was not feeling the emotional support that she should have from her friend Kara, even if she forgave her. Uh, but um, it's, you know, even if it weren't hurting Lena at all, it's still putting up a wall between them that I don't think Lena deserves at this point. My hope is that this is Lena's bottom, that she's bottoming out here, mm -hmm. kind of at the point when she was watching Dreamer's interview mm -hmm. and talking to Brainy about it. And Brainy also solved the problem she couldn't solve with James. There was a lot of failures on Lena's part going at the first three quarters of this episode. I expect that for the season arc, of which there are only a few more episodes, Lena's now going to be on the upswing from this point. I certainly hope that's the case. If they don't have her find out somehow by the end of the season, I don't know how I will feel about the next season. <laughs> Three episodes. <laughs> and here we are. True. A fun way to do it would be for Lex to taunt Lena and, you know, tell her the secret just to watch her bleed. Um... <laughs> Uh, that would be a very Lex thing to do. Haha, ha, you think you're such good friends. You have no friends. They're all lying to you. I mean, I'd rather Lena find out herself, but I'd rather she had found out at the end of last season or <laughs> earlier. But um, <laughs> that could be one way they could break through uh, this Lena apparently can't figure it out by herself problem. It really would not surprise me if that's the way this goes. At some point, Lex needs to pull a lever and he uses that one on Lena. And my hope will be is at least it will not work like he expects it to. But I don't know. And it's unfortunate that it's going to probably come out that way and not Lena figuring it out or Supergirl coming clean. But it's a very plausible path because why else bother having Lex know? Lex knowing who Kara is hasn't really added much to anything in the story. If it's going to, won't it be that? Yeah, uh, he hasn't used it 
against her yet, um, and he certainly could have to make things worse when he blackened her rec- reputation by having Red Daughter pretend to be Supergirl and, and tear up the White House and kill people. So he could have, at the same time, you know, taken away Kara's super identity to isolate her, her secret identity, to isolate her even more. But he didn't. Uh, maybe he just likes playing the long game too much. Or he's holding it out to use against Lena. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> we'll see. So any other notes about Kara's uh, character moments here? The big one for Kara is that she's doing her job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she's doing her job and she's using her powers to help do her job because she can go through files really quickly and write down notes really quickly and type really quickly. Why have we never seen much of this before? This is so awesome. I'm just, I'm so overjoyed <laughs> to see Kara doing her job and seeming to do it very well. And really the other arc she has is in trying to help Franklin's sister come forward as a whistleblower who is rightfully horrified at the risks that being a whistleblower is. This shows clearly on the sides of whistleblowers, in case no one noticed. (laughs) But a lot of this is, yeah, Cara doing her job, figuring stuff out. I think she's very lucky that Edna was too shocked to wonder what froze the doorknob. But hey, I really quite like seeing Cara being Cara. Yes, Uh, Given all the bad journalism moments that we've seen on this show. (laughs) Many, many of them. This was a a very pleasant surprise. (laughs) Yeah, and it leads into her doing the whole interview with Nia as Dreamer, which is kind of brilliant because for once she's not using herself as a source. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Speaking of the interview, I did like that they reminded us that Nia, uh, or Dreamer, is a, a trans woman. Um, uh, there has not been much about that, and it's just nice to see it uh, remembered on the show and not just a character note that was mentioned once and never mentioned again. We do see Nia, and she is fighting the good fight. I mean, it was really silly of her to tell the people who were hiding out at the bar, uh, the alien refugees there, you're safe now, as if, you know, shooing the uh, alien affairs people away or, you know, once briefly, uh, (laughs) you're safe now was just silly to say. And she rightly got called on it by one of the characters. Um... And that led to her feeling of hopelessness, and that led to the conversation with Kara that led to the interview. So, um, she was silly, but it led to good things. We're aliens. Nowhere is safe. (laughs) I agree that that one line was a little weak. I mean, without a doubt, they were safer. And her fight to American Woman was pretty awesome, even if they're kind of not using her precognitive nature in her fights very much anymore. She now has her electric shock whips. But I kind of love the using her electric shock whips to move a water bucket and dump it all over the floor and then electrocute the people. <laughs> At least they put thought into it all. And the shots to American Woman being played in the jukebox was pretty awesome. Overall, I quite like a lot of the things they're having Dreamer do, and I think she has a lot of fun. But yeah, it's a little unfortunate that we don't get to really see her power that she in theory has in play. 
Yeah, I think the tough thing with her power is that it's not quite as much of an action piece as these CW shows tend to go for. You know, she has to be dreaming for it to work, which, you know, they've sort of just written that off in previous episodes like, oh, Nia's, you know, doing her thing somewhere else off screen and we don't need to see it because seeing her napping is not going to be that exciting. <laughs> and I think this is sort of their way of trying to liven things up a bit with her character, especially with the absence of Supergirl at the moment. And the fact that it's still a learning process for her and she doesn't totally get everything right off the bat is really refreshing, I think. It's nice. I still like how they presented her fighting in the very first time we saw her mm -hmm. powers used in combat, where she's unconscious for half a second and then understands what's going to happen and then does her Jedi ways. I like that, and it's just unfortunate that maybe that's just too hard to do in general or maybe too hard to follow. Yeah. Basically, they're just simplifying her, and that's a bit of a pity. Yes. Yes, we have so many people on the show uh, who can punch. Um, and she's not punching here, but, you know, it's the same basic idea, energy weapons. That being said, though, from the interview and with the fight scene, I really liked some of the character beats that were placed in this, and I really love the interview. The interview is what I was complaining about them not doing last podcast. Yes. Them not actually trying to use the BD industry to get their message out. And I was just overjoyed by them doing this interview. And I think Nia does an awesome interview. And she's wonderfully geeky because the CW figures that's their audience and let's run with it. <laughs> I just adored every moment of it. Yeah, I thought it was cleverly done. Um, uh, you know, she starts out talking about who she is and, and, you know, gives a few little details and then talks about... Her her alien descended mother and her human father, and uh, then goes into all the just little details of her life that helps her humanize herself, so to speak, to the TV audience. Or it was well set up and uh, well executed. I'm different, but so is everybody, and I don't know when that became such a bad thing. Yeah, that was great. That was yeah. just great. Just some wonderful lines. It was just so honest that you kind of couldn't help but smile during that whole segment there because the whole little bit about liking s'mores and things like that, it was just like, yes, I can relate. Right. She's a Gryffindor. <laughs> this episode got what Supergirl is good at as a TV show. And this episode, I think, did it well. Yeah. Right. Even if they really should have been doing this kind of thing before, it was very good to see. Very very positive hope for the hopeless um and uh it was it was nice to see the audience reactions too in their various ways especially <laughs> Finn Lockwood being so angry shut it down <laughs> shall we talk about the Lockwoods let's do yeah <laughs> so early in the show we see uh um George Ben Lockwood's son going along with them on the raid to the bar and he the raid first to just someone's house yeah oh right 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 and he's uh not happy with what he sees there with the wife uh screaming as her husband is dragged away um and george george is a little distressed and he says it's easy to forget 
that they're aliens when he looks so human. Um, and his dad tells them, you know, they're all, they're all roaches, blah, blah, blah. I was really struck by that moment because, you know, I know that it's a long time science fiction trope that, uh, aliens are treated as the other, as, as, you know, metaphorical substitutes for, um, whatever minority group you want to talk about. Um, but I mean, humans do that kind of thing to humans. They just dehumanize them and, and say, you know, uh, whatever, whatever group, uh, homosexuals or, or Jews or, uh, Muslims or whatever, you know, it's okay to treat them badly because they're not real people or, or not people we care about. So it, it was a little weird feeling for me watching that scene because, um, you know, <laughs> flashing onto reality, uh, when, when you're watching the TV show sometimes is not fun. Was it perhaps too on the nose? Because this show really knows what it's doing. And boy, is it going to present that exactly as you're describing. Mm -hmm. These are the mutants. These are the people who are going to be the scapegoats. And the fascist state is going to have their way and do their bad things to these people. And it's just interesting that we're now seeing those second thoughts on George's face. Though I have to say, I like the new deputized Children of Liberty uniforms more than their hoodies. I think that's an improvement. <laughs> And Ben Lockwood's yes, yeah. new jacket is an awesome jacket. <laughs> the fascists always get the best clothes. It's not fair. <laughs> right. Well, yes, absolutely. The show is doing this deliberately. Um, uh, it just uh, sometimes the metaphor punches me really hard. <laughs> it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So after that, um, they do the raid on, on the bar and uh, George sees a small alien running away and goes after the kid and then he realizes that it's his old friend Charlie uh, and he says why didn't you tell me and Charlie says why do you think <laughs> yeah very reasonable answer and the very very obvious one <laughs> right uh so, so then uh I mean apparently George lets Charlie go and later he questions his mom slightly asking it almost hypothetically, hey mom, do you ever think that maybe dad is a little hard on these aliens? And she says, no, of course not. He's a hero and he's very proud of you, son. Like that was what he was worried about was whether his father is proud of him. Clearly not his issue at the moment. We finally get some lines from his mother again and they're pretty thin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good thing that's not her only scene. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> we will. We will. There's analogies on top of analogies because we have the whole aliens as other and scapegoats. And this is an entirely mirroring a coming out conversation for George. If George is mm -hmm. going to come out and say that he's gay and it doesn't go very well. We don't know what type of relationship George and Charlie has, because this is all just sort of coming up in this episode. We had no visibility to anything beforehand that I'm aware of. But there's a, a strong implication now that there's another angle on this, which, of course, is I don't know if George is gay or this is purely just using the coming out model as another analogy for this failure of communication between parents and their children. I didn't get that vibe, but I could have just been missing it. 
Yeah, I'm not totally sure on that either. For me, with George, a lot of it was just his complete uncertainty about what his father is doing. So when he runs into the kid from school, I think he's just more hurt that the kid felt like he couldn't tell him because of who his father is, not because of who he is. And I think that was sort of more the vibe I was getting, at least with that moment in particular. But I think they need to be close. Like they needed to have been close enough for that line to hold, I think. And the other thing, the only time we see George is he's one of the reaction shots to Nia's interview. And the point where they give us George's reaction shot is when she's describing being a trans woman and different. And that's when we get the shot of George reacting. I just don't know where the analogy ends and the reality in this story begins. But we'll see. And really, how George is affected by the later scenes for the Lockwoods is entirely impossible to judge. Yeah, because we don't see that moment on screen. I imagine it'll come up either the next episode or the one before the finale, just because I think the next episode is supposed to be more about Eve. I know it is taking a play on an Eminem song so <laughs> for the episode title, but it'll be interesting to see because we kind of get these little spurts of George that sort of just give us a ton of information about the kid, and then he kind of disappears for a little bit, and then we get it again with this episode. So I think this is not going to go over very well, though. I think he's going to ultimately end up siding with his father because of the mother's death. It certainly might be the case. There's no doubt that they might be showing that he could have been considering his father was wrong, and he'll just be entirely pulled back in when we see that repercussion. And I believe that that could happen. I don't know. I hope it doesn't. It might. There's only three episodes, and there's a lot of threads to <laughs> clean up. Yeah, hopefully they clean them all up anyway. Indeed. So, um, <clears throat> Lydia is dead, uh, and I assume this is um, Lex killing again to stiffen the resolve of one of his uh, chess pieces. Was it the same actor who played the wife of the husband who was taken away? Yes. Looks similar to me. Oh, okay. I missed that. That that's right. There was a woman, and who ran away. And so, okay, that would. I, I guess I just tend to blame Lex for everything. <laughs> that's fair. But... Yeah, yeah. I mean, because when they took the husband away earlier in the episode, you could see her eyes change color, mm -hmm. and I believe that was their hint at, "Hey, she's an alien too. This is going to come back around." And I believe the eyes were the same color sort of standing out in the dark there when the wife was killed. I can understand why thematically they want to do this with the story, but I don't know why it's a good idea to try and murder someone when your husband is in their custody. Right. Emotions don't always know reason. <laughs> There's that, and that might be sufficient in this case, but ouch. I think this is, in some regards, a fridging, because I think the main thing this is going to do is this is going to be 
a thing which affects the character arc of the guy, which is Lockwood is going to lose it in the next episode or so. And he's going to go so far off the deep end that it's going to blow up in everyone's face. That would be my assumption. That would make sense. The best way for the good guys to beat the fascists is for the fascists to be so obviously fascist. And he's going to be way out there. Right. He's going to be arresting ordinary citizens just for being alien sympathizers. And that's when that's when the backlash will really get going. Yeah, I am very ready for Ben Lockwood to totally go off the rails. <laughs> this will put him off the rails. I mean, he's already off the rails half the time. And this well, yes, off this the is true. All the time. Um, speaking from the, uh, uh, the alien wife perspective, maybe, maybe she wanted to kidnap, uh, Lydia, hold her hostage to try and get her husband back, but something went wrong and Lydia ended up dead. Maybe that would make a little more sense than just flat out killing her. It was also the very end of the episode, so can we be entirely sure she's dead or she's just really close to dead? Oh, well, Maybe. I think Lockwood's reaction, though, was that she was definitely dead, because I don't know if he would scream that way if she were still breathing instead of calling for help. Mm. Ben Lockwood screaming just kind of comes with the character, but also yeah, true. <laughs> I would assume she is dead, but you can never be sure with these shows. People being dead is one of those things that comics doesn't do very well. True. <laughs> okay, so maybe we should have done this first instead of last, but overall thoughts about the episode? I thought it was another good one. I really had some really good stuff in it, even if, as usual, I quibble with some of the logic. But <laughs> uh, some great character beats um, and evolutions in their arcs. I think this is probably my favorite episode of the season. And this season is probably my favorite of the last three. I think I like the season certainly more than second or third season. In many regards, this episode is pretty high for me. I really loved this episode. There were very few quibbles I had with it, and some of the character beats and just how they were trying to act and win by actually interacting with the culture as a whole. I just loved the episode. Deanna? I think I liked a lot of what they did with the character work, but the stuff with Lena and now George sort of has me a little worried as to how they will handle those two things going forward. Because from the start, there's always been this hesitation with George, and to have him just end up exactly like his father, I feel like would be a little disappointing, even if it's understandable after what's happened. And I'm not super confident that they'll fix the Lena situation. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> I want them to. Don't get me wrong. I really, really want them to. Because otherwise, I just, I don't know if I'm going to be feeling this show enough to be thrilled about another season of it if they don't sort of wrap that up in the next three episodes. And I have been really liking the Lex stuff. So I was a little bummed that we didn't get much character stuff from him. But I think because of what they were doing with James and Nia in specific, there just wasn't room for it. There are a lot of characters in this show, and you can't have them all at the forefront every episode. Well, Lena no longer has any secrets, as far as I'm aware. So pretty much all of that's been cleaned up. This episode does clean up some of the loose ends, but there's going to be a lot of stuff going on and there's a potential almost war with Kaznia that's going to be happening with missile bases, Red Daughter to sort out, Supergirl clearing her name. Jean oh, coming back. 
John coming back. Because, of course, I wonder if the reason why John was away for this episode was literally so he could direct the episode. <laughs> he did, I think, a great job. I was really happy with it. Yes. It was unfortunate not to see much of John, but on the other hand, we got a good episode. So I'll take that as a positive in the end. And John had a nice moment. He, you know, he uh, was trudging through the Martian desert and did the thing with the staff and the staff went away and his father's giant floating head appeared and said, good job, son. So that clears the decks for him to come back for the final few episodes. The one thing I expect we'll also see, the reality is still that Lena was working with the DO to try and make super people. Lena can now make super people. And Lockwood has some control over what happens to DEO technology. Mm. So I'm assuming that we're going to see, like we saw Ben say to James, trying to figure out how that happened. How did he get his powers? I think we're going to see Lockwood trying to figure that out. And we'll see what actually happens with Lena's technology. We only have a few episodes. I think it would be pretty hard to have. Uh, you're right. He did point it out. So... The show obviously intends to do something about that, but I'm just having trouble figuring out how he can create super soldiers and maybe that's the ultimate, the final episode battle or something. What's the likelihood that Ben Lockwood gets himself shot up with Harnell to get superpowers as well? Oh, just him? Not an army? Hmm, maybe. That's cheaper that way. <laughs> and Lex still has superpowers now too, so it's... Right. A world of superpowered characters. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot left, but yes, the Eminem reference for the next episode is in the title, Will the Real Miss Tessmacher Please Stand Up? So hopefully that episode will actually be more about Eve than All About Eve was. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the last few episodes of this season. They've been doing a great job with the last few episodes, and... You know, I, I have high hopes that they're going to uh, do a good job winding the season up with, a, you know, strong plot lines and, and a good finish. I'll have to make some time to make sure I come back for at least two more of the three remaining episodes here for, for our season as well. Yeah, that would be great. I'm sure I will have lots of Lena thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'd like to thank you two for another fascinating conversation about Supergirl. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me again. And thanks to the listeners for um, hearing our thoughts. If you would like to share your thoughts with us, please uh, uh, talk to us on Twitter at SG Supercast or get on to the, uh, the Incomparables member Slack channel uh, and talk to us about the show on the TV sub channel. Thanks, everybody, and uh, talk to you again later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.